So, 2 Corinthians 9.15. We've to do communion yet. It says, we looked at this verse last week. It's a short verse. It simply says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Last week, uh, we looked into the context of the verse. It felt a bit Bible study-ish, but that won't hurt anybody. And this week, as we come to sharing communion together, we're going to take a more devotional approach. How can we describe that which Paul says is indescribable? The gift of God's Son whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed for us. So to help us with that, let's turn to Isaiah the prophet, who uses very descriptive language to convey something of God's indescribable gift. Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 7. Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 7. This is Isaiah describing for us God's indescribable gift. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. and By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. What can we learn about God's indescribable gift from these very descriptive words in Isaiah 53? In verse 2, he says this, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And these words speak of incredible contrast. As Jesus is the one whose name is above every name. Jesus is the one whom angels worship. Jesus is the one who fills the throne room of heaven from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. Yet he came to a cattle shed, to a manger. No red carpet for Jesus. No majesty to attract attention to him. Jesus is the one of whom Wesley in his great hymn exhorts us, crown him with many crowns. Yet he lays aside every crown. Accept the crown of thorns, a crown of suffering, a crown of mockery. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that though he was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. In John 18, verse 38, Pilate asks Jesus, are you king of the Jews? Pilate has no idea. No idea who is in front of him. 
Because in front of him is the king of kings and the king of glory. The majesty from on high. But Jesus is the king who laid aside his majesty. And in front of Pilate on this day as he stands, he has no beauty. No trappings of majesty. Nothing in his appearance that anyone should think anything of him. Isaiah goes on in his description in verse 3. He says, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. The old hymn writer, aghast at the very thought, asked the question, man of sorrows, what a name. The NIV commentary says the Hebrew word for sorrows is used both for physical and mental pain. Perhaps we see all of this on the cross. To some degree, we can understand the physical suffering of Jesus. But what about the impact of sin upon the sinless son of God? What about the impact of the one who is holy and pure, bearing our sin? What about the mental, the emotional anguish? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it tells us God made him who knew no sin to be sin. And there is a moment during the crucifixion recorded in Matthew 27, verses 45 to 46, where it says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, which theologians find nigh on impossible to explain, Jesus senses some kind of separation from the Father. Warren Wearsby tries to explain it this way. He says it was during the time of darkness that Jesus had been made sin for us. He had been forsaken by his Father. The darkness was a symbol of the judgment he endured for us. How could a holy God look with favor on his own son who had now become sin? The New Bible Commentary puts it this way. We cannot conceive what this separation meant to one from who from all eternity had known no separation from his Father. And in that moment of darkness, as Jesus cried out from the cross, out in anguish of pain and emotional pain, my God, my God, Father, where are you? Jesus becomes aware of some separation. And he is the man of sorrows. He is despised. He is rejected. He is familiar with suffering. Isaiah goes on to say in verse 7, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And here we have the wonderful picture of the silence of the Lamb of God. These words tell us, he went through this willingly. He didn't resist. In John 18, the soldiers are looking for Jesus. John 18, verse 4. A verse I encourage you over the period of Lent to reflect and reflect and reflect on and allow worship to flow from your heart. John 18, verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, said Jesus. And every time I read John 18, I can't get past verse 4. I have to pause in wonder and awe. 
Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked, who is it you want? And as I reflect on the fact that if I was in Jesus' place, and if I knew all that was coming in the trial and the crucifixion and the beatings and the mockery, I would have run away. I would not have stayed there. I would have gone into hiding. Not Jesus. Jesus willingly gave himself. If I was in that situation and had all that power and only it took was a word, I would speak. But like a sheep before a shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. What is the significance of his silence? John tells us in chapter 1 and verse 1 of his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus, the word, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, the word that was there in the beginning and spoke the word and light came into the darkness, order into chaos. He spoke and the sun and the moon and the stars took their place. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. He spoke the word and the storm was stilled. Blind eyes were opened, the dead were raised. The old songwriter says it well. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. One word from Jesus and the soldiers were finished. Yet, as a sheep before her shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. Isaiah goes on to say in verse 6, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is something God has done. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In John chapter 19, when Jesus is stood before Pilate, Pilate asks Jesus another question, and Jesus doesn't answer him. And Pilate is irritated. So in verse 10, Pilate powers up. Jesus stood, no majesty, no appearance, no beauty, nothing to make anyone think he is anything. And Pilate powers up. And in verse 10, he says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? If I was an artist, I would paint this scene with Jesus in all his humility. Pilate powering up, asking the question, the ridiculous question. Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know I have the power to crucify or, or release you? And in the background of the picture... Not in view, not to the human eye, myriad of angels just waiting. Just one word from the king. One word. Jesus didn't open his mouth. Jesus replies to Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. I'm here because my father has put me here. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus did not suffer and die at the will of Pilate or the Roman soldiers. This was God's plan. This was God's will.
This was God's indescribable love at work. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Isaiah goes on to tell us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Jesus stands in our place. Takes the punishment that was coming our way. Pays the debts we owe. Carries our sin in his body. In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul says, At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, says Paul, will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Does anybody want to say hallelujah this morning? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. At the cross, Jesus defeated death and hell and sin. God sent him there to do it. So Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. At the cross, Jesus destroyed the power of sin. Through the cross, sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. The past has been buried, praise his name. The debt has been cleared, thank you, Jesus. Satan is defeated, hallelujah. So Paul can say in Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He called my name and I ran out of that grave, hallelujah. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that stood against us. And he took it away, nailing it to the cross. So the psalmist can say, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. The gift of God represents the greatest transaction the world has ever seen. It's a bigger transaction than anything that ever happens on the stock market. It's the greater transaction that ever happens in the Dow or the FTSE or whatever it is. It is the most amazing before and after story. Because through the cross he takes the filthy rags of my unrighteousness and clothes me with the righteousness of Christ. He speaks over you this morning. The old has gone, the new has come in Jesus' name. So the psalmist Gets the picture in Psalm 40. He says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Are you glad this morning that in Christ you're stood upon the rock of Jesus? Are you glad this morning that he reached into where you were and pulled you out of that place and gave you a solid rock to stand on? The Apostle Peter possibly puts the before and after better than anyone else in 1 Peter 2, verse 10. Once he says, you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, 
But now you have received mercy. I know I bang on about this. But I can't tell you how grateful I am that I am a man who's received mercy. I didn't deserve mercy. I deserve punishment. I didn't deserve rescue. I deserved to be left, but he didn't leave me. He came right to where I was. Right back, 1966, he touched the hearts of men and women in this church to plant a Sunday school right where I was. God came right into my place. Hallelujah, he came right to where you were as well. He is the God who pursued you. He's the God who went to great lengths because of his great love for you and came right to where you were. Do you want to say hallelujah this morning? I know I do. I feel a dance coming on. Once you had not received mercy, but now, thank God, you received mercy. We were in that dark place. We were in the place called condemnation. Death row. No appeal. Finished. But mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. And there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Praise his name. The Apostle Peter says in verse 9, 1 Peter 2, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people belonging to God. I am my beloved's. He is mine, and his banner over me is love. Peter says, all of this is so, that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we can live a life of worship, a life of loving him, a life of serving him, a life of gratitude and thankfulness from the depths of our hearts. Thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift. Thank you God. That you've adopted me into your family. Thank you God. That today because of Jesus. I am a son and daughter of the king of kings and the lord of lords. Thank you that you bore my sin. Thank you that you didn't open your mouth and ask for the rescue. Thank you that you laid aside your majesty and were willing to be of no appearance, no beauty, no majesty that anyone should desire you. Thank you. Thank you you gave yourself willingly. Thank you that my past is buried. Thank you the debt has been cancelled. Thank you for the cleansing flow that runs every day of my life. Thank you when I put my head on the pillar and close my eyes, you are there. And when I open my eyes in the morning or the middle of the night, you are there. And when you awake in the middle of the night with all the worries of your heart, mind and soul, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he is there right with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. For he is with me. And even in the presence of mine enemies, he provides me a table. Even in the toughest and the darkest of situations, the King of Kings and the Lord of us, He's right there. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. We worship you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Help us to be who you say we are. Help us to walk in the truth of your word. 1 John, now are we the children of God and that is what we are. That is what we are. We're not what the enemy says. 
We're not what the careless words of people have spoken in our past. We are none of those things. We are sons and daughters of God Most High. That is who we are. And we say thank you, God, for your most indescribable gift. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.